0: Hello everyone, welcome back to episode 12 of our discipleship program. We're gonna be talking today about two kings. And uh, those two kings are going to show us the two types of believers. So if you have your Bible with you, I'd like for you to have your Bible and all throughout the podcast. If you want to pause the podcast and look these scriptures up yourself so you can study them and get them inside of your spirit, it would really help you a lot to go ahead and pause and read if you have to. That's one of the greatest things about having the podcast. You could you could pause, pause it, get the studies, and then uh, pick up again where you left off. But the title of episode 12 here is two kings, two types of believers. The first type of believer is the normal Christian life that we all would like to say that we're enjoying. And that, that Christian life says, God is my master. I know a lot of people think they say God is my master, but the second type of believer is that abnormal Christian life where people say, God is my partner, The first is that remnant that Jesus spoke of and the the second is 70 to 80% of all American so-called Christians. Now, the normal Christian life is found in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 23. That normal Christian life is found in this scripture. He says, "...but he that receiveth seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some a hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty." Now, King David in the, in the Old Testament is a good example of the normal Christian life. Now, the second or the abnormal Christian life that I'm talking about here today is found in Luke chapter eight, verse 14. And it says, and that which fell among thorns are they which when they have heard, go forth and are choked with the cares of riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit, no fruit to perfection so uh, let's let's read those two scriptures. Let me go ahead and mention King Saul is an Old Testament example of this second or this abnormal Christian life that we're talking about, the, the abnormal believer. So let me read those two verses again so you can really get these in your heart today before we move forward. The normal Christian life is found in Matthew 13 and 23, but he that receiveth seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it which also beareth fruit. So what? there's that bearing fruit again. The word of God causes fruit to come forth and bringeth forth some a hundredfold, some 60 and some 30. He didn't say anybody that bared seed for seed. He said some bears a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some 30. Those are the three expectations from Jesus Christ when his word gets into a true believer. Now, as I said before, King David is an Old Testament example. Our second or abnormal Christian life is found in Luke chapter 8, verse 14. It says, And that which fell among the thorns are they which, when they had heard, they go forth and they are choked with the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this life, and they bring forth no fruit to perfection." King Saul is an Old Testament example of this particular type of believer. So these people give God a reasonable part of their lives and and hope that it satisfies God's expectation. That's what King Saul did. And we know a lot of people like this. They, They give God just this reasonable portion of their life so that they can at least look like they're following God and they hope that that portion of their life that they give God satisfies his expectation. But again, their focus, just like our last uh, lesson, their focus tends to be on external behavior and not internal transformation. They are the type of people we've seen around everywhere. We see them in churches everywhere. They say things like, God blesses me as I seek to satisfy my aspirations and fulfill my goals in life. In other words, they're saying, I hope for his blessings on my own terms. (coughs) So, I'm sure a lot of you know um, many people like that, and you may even possibly have been guilty of that yourself. But we're really hoping that the discipleship training helps you to stray off of that and and, uh, evolve away from that way of thinking and get into total submission to the Holy Spirit leading you. So, the purpose for this lesson today is to contrast a God dependent disposition of life with a self dependent disposition of life. And you could see Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 in there. And that's that, y'all can look that up. I've quoted that scripture many a times. But, uh, The other thing that we're going to have the purpose for here is to change the focus or change our attention from outward behavior to inward transformation. We spoke of that before in one of our other lessons, and that is found in Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. But the main difference between the two types of believers is that of the disposition toward the authority or the lordship of Jesus in a Christian's life. Many Christians perceive their spiritual life as having a divided authority, and that is with God governing some areas of their life while the Christian has authority over other areas of their life, and and that's the Christian's right or privilege to decide over which area God should exercise authority. But a problem arises because Jesus clearly stated that there can only be one master in a Christian's life. He said that in Matthew chapter six, verse 24. A believer, unless taught otherwise, will have a natural tendency to assume authority over the main areas of their life while granting to God authority over some limited spiritual areas of their life. And many believers think that they rel- that the uh The relinquishing of authority over their life, accepting his yoke, as Jesus put it, is a long process rather than a one-time conscious choice. The problem with presenting lordship as a process is that it results in a Christian often unknowingly assuming that their own priorities have a rightful place of supremacy over God's priorities. Now, there is a long-term daily aspect of surrender. We've talked about this many a times. Just as marriage partners need to daily reinforce their initial covenant and vows. But during the spiritual mentoring process, the mentor needs to discern how the mentee or their apprentice or their students or you listeners perceives God's authority over his or her life. So I want you to ask yourself today, uh, you can email me or you can text me or whatever you want to do, uh, What is uh what's God's authority? How do you perceive God's authority in your own life? Because me as a teacher, if I don't understand how you see God's authority in your life, I don't really know how to how to uh, adjust the way that I'm teaching you to get you to understand that God has to have supremacy in your life. So we all need to get to a place to where we are not going uh, through life making excuses or validating our own behaviors Because we want to believe God operates a certain way, so that I can have my will be done and not Thy will be done. I know many of people that does that, and that's just not the way God authorizes our life to be lived. Christians who have acknowledged Christ's lordship over their life will often be able to identify the approximate time and circumstances surrounding that particular event in their life. The reason for this is because that choice to accept His rightful authority or to accept His yoke in your life is not a casual decision. It was a very grand decision and it was a great big choice to make. And as a Christian, I need to understand that God stated his, his ownership in my life. God's ownership is an absolute, which is not at all dependent on my acceptance or my acknowledgement of it. He's, he's got ownership whether I believe it or not. And acceptance or acknowledgement of what God says is truth simply removes a major obstacle to him being able to use and bless me in the way that he desires to use and bless me or to reject his lordship is to usurp his authority that's not mine anyway jesus asked the question and why do you call me lord lord and do not the things which i say that reference is from luke chapter 6 verse 46 so if I, as a Christian, try to serve two masters, that is serving God and serve myself, I, I'm gonna let God have the things I, I volunteer to hand to him and the other things I think I can hold on to, I'll just do that myself. I don't know of many people in this world that act that way, but if I, as a Christian, try to serve those two masters and I'm gonna wind up having a divided loyalty, I'm gonna be double-minded, as the Bible says, attempting to satisfy God while at the same time perceiving God as someone who will help me achieve my goals and aspirations in this life. In other words, it's my choice where you get to work in my life, God. King Saul is an Old Testament example of a believer who was unwilling to surrender his will to God, but rather choose to rely on his own human understanding or self-dependence And in stark contrast to that, King David is an example of a believer who accepted God's authority over his life. Obviously, David was guilty of many grave sins, yet God testifies of his disposition of submission to God himself in Acts chapter 13, verse 22. King Saul's sins may not outwardly seem as grievous to man, yet God's disapproval is very evident. Due to Saul's unwillingness to accept God's authority, King Saul's problem was the, his problem was lordship and letting God have will, letting God's will be done in his life. So Saul's problem was letting God have lordship over his life while David's problem was just behavior. There is a difference between the two. So I will either perceive myself as a servant to God or I will perceive my or I will perceive God as my helper or as my partner. You understand the difference. When you see God, when you see yourself as a servant to God, you're giving him lordship. Saul had a problem with this. If you're perceiving God as your helper and your partner, you have a problem. Because Saul had that same problem. Saul's problem was, hey, if I'm losing in a battle, I want God in the middle of this thing. But as long as I'm winning and I'm having victory, I'm king here. I'm in charge. So maturity has to be a factor also. I've said many times you can only deal with people at the level of spiritual maturity that they live at. And I, I stand by that every single moment of my life, including when I'm looking at myself in the mirror, when I'm trying to work things out in the scripture, when I'm studying stuff and don't comprehend it myself. And I have to pray and ask God to teach it to me because I don't know. So maturity has to be a factor. A Christian may have made a lordship decision in their life and be surrendered to him totally, yet still be immature and not be able to understand a lot of things that God needs them to understand. That that shows that spiritual maturity is a must in us, and we've studied that many times in our life, in our uh, discipleship classes. So King Saul was a self-dependent believer so let's listen at that kind of title. King Saul reigned for 40 years in Acts chapter thirteen, twenty-one. Both kings were chosen by God though. King Saul and King David was both chosen by God and God's presence... Was evident in both of their lives. Each was disobedient to God also, and each was confronted by a prophet of God about their disobedience. Their responses to God, Spokeman Samuel and Nathan, their responses to the prophets revealed their distinct hearts or their distinct heart disposition. So it shows how they looked at God, how they looked at the correction, how they received the correction from God. Man tends to look at outward appearance, which is easier to be misled, but God looks at the heart and the attitude and is never misled. So the scripture, First Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. King Saul was chosen by God, and the Holy Spirit was evident in his life. That's found in First Samuel 9 and 10. But first Samuel nine and seventeen says, When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said unto him, Behold, the man whom I speak, or who I spake to thee of, this same shall reign over my people. First Samuel ten, six through seven. Samuel said again, and the spirit of the Lord will come upon thee, and thou shalt prophesy with him, and shall be turned into another man. And let it be, with these signs are coming to thee, that thou do as occasion serve thee, for God is with thee. First Samuel ten nine and ten. And it was so that when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all those signs came to pass that day, and when they came thither to the hill, behold, a company of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God came upon him, talking about Saul, and he prophesied among them. So King Saul's outward appearance was very attractive and acceptable to the people. First Samuel 9 and 2 talks about that, and and he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man and a goodly man and there was not among the children of israel a goodlier person than he from his shoulders and upward he was higher than many people so he was a big tall handsome man according to the way some people describe that first samuel ten twenty two and 24 says he was higher than any of the people from his shoulders and upward and samuel said to all the people see ye him who the lord hath chosen that there is none like him among all the people and all the people shouted and said God save the king king Saul was given a simple commandment to wait for Samuel to come to offer the sacrifice. First Samuel 10 and 8, Samuel said, And thou shalt go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I will come down unto thee to offer burnt offerings. Who's saying this? Samuel said, Saul, go and wait for me, and I'll come to offer the burnt offerings, not you. I will sacrifice sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days you will wait until I come to thee. This is Samuel talking to King Saul. He said, seven days you're supposed to wait until I come to you, and I'll show you what we're supposed to be doing, what you're supposed to be doing. And First Samuel thirteen eight through 14 says, and he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointing. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, bring, a, bring me a burnt offering and peace offerings. And Saul offered the burnt offerings. And it came to pass that as soon as he had made the end of offerings, those burnt offerings, behold, Samuel shows up. Saul went out to meet him that he may salute him. And Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, because I saw that the people were scattered from me and that you didn't show up in the days that you said you was going to show up, the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. And therefore I said, the Philistines will come down upon us now at Gilgal because I've not made supplication unto the Lord. So I forced myself therefore an offering of burnt offerings. And here's how Samuel responds. Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee, for now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever, forever, but now thy kingdom shall not continue. God's yanking his kingdom right out from under him. The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord has seen right here in verse 14, Samuel's telling him that God's looking for somebody else and he's found him. He says, the Lord hath sought him a man after God's own heart and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people because you, Saul, have not kept that which the Lord has commanded you. Now note, on the seventh day, the day that Samuel was supposed to arrive, Saul decided he couldn't wait no longer and he just unlawfully took on himself the priestly responsibility of offering the community sacrifice. You can see that in Leviticus chapter 6 verses 8 through 13. So King Saul was also given another commandment, but he disobeyed again and was confronted by Samuel. This is found in 1 Samuel chapter 15, 1 verses 1 through 3, Samuel also said to Saul, thus saith the Lord of hosts, go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have, spare not a one of them, slay both man and woman, infant, suckling, ox, sheep, camel, everything they got, and Saul came to the city of Amalek and laid wait on the valley, and Saul smote the Amalekites." But Saul, once again, chose to follow his own reasoning rather than following the instructions that didn't seem to concur with his human understanding. So he didn't really want to go along with what God said because he didn't understand what God was saying. It just seemed more prudent for him to do the thing that seemed right in his own eyes. There's a lot of gold here. There's some beautiful women here. There's some people we could take as slaves. There's some women we could take as wives. There's animals that we could eat. There's sheep we could sacrifice. There's the king that we could take captive and brag about taking this country over and build our pride up. All kinds of things took through Samuel's or through Saul's head in verse. 8 and 9, he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen and the fatlands and the lambs and everything that seemed good and would not destroy those things. But everything that was vile and refused, they destroyed utterly. So here's a question for you. What was wrong with Saul's reasoning? Saul was more concerned about the approval of his men than the approval of God. And in verse 10 through 12, then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, Saul didn't perform my commandment like I told him to do. So Samuel rose up and went to meet Saul and was told to Samuel, he said, Listen, Saul came to Carmel and behold, he set him up on a place, a monument for himself and has gone about and passed on and gone down to Gilgal. So what's the purpose of a monument? Why was he not repentant and responsive to the Lord? It was pride. He was proud of his accomplishments that he did. He he didn't look at it as God had done the accomplishment. God had given you the commandment, and God was going to see it through. He looked at it. He built himself his own monument to say, look what I've done. But when confronted by Samuel, Saul defends his reasoning and Samuel came to Saul again in verses 13 through 15 and said, blessed be thou, O Lord. He's talking to Samuel. Here's King Saul. Blessed be thou, O the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, then what means this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen that I hear? Saul said, they've brought them from the Amalekites. You notice how he said they brought them. He didn't take responsibility. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. Do you catch that right there in that verse? As he says, as Saul is saying, the people spared the best sheep and the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. Thy God, Samuel, he's not even calling the Lord his God anymore. He has made so many mistakes and he's turned his back on God so many times and looked toward his own self-dependence so many times. He's no longer even referencing God as his own God. So he looks at Samuel, the prophet, and says to sacrifice unto your God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel speaks to Saul and he says, stay right here, I'll tell thee what the Lord has said to me this night. And he said to him, just go on. And Samuel said, when thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed you king over Israel? And the Lord sent you on a journey and said, just go and destroy these sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they're totally consumed, wherefore you didn't obey the voice of the Lord, but you just decided you'd fly up on the spoil and take everything you could find of value and worth, and this is evil in the sight of the Lord, and this is Samuel talking to him, and Saul said unto Samuel, oh, I've obeyed the voice of the Lord, I've gone the way which the Lord told me, I, I brought Agag, the king of Amalek, now, not a single bit of God's commandment told Saul to bring king Agag. So Saul is so eat up with his own pride that he's saying, I've obeyed the Lord. I went exactly the way the Lord told me to do. I even brought back Agag to show that I've destroyed, the, I've destroyed all the Amalekites. God didn't tell him to destroy everybody but the king. And he didn't tell him to let the people take the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which had been supposed to have been destroyed. And he didn't tell him to do any sacrifice unto the Lord. God told him to destroy everything, and Samuel responds back in verse twenty two and twenty three, he says, Hath the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as he takes in obeying the voice of the Lord? In other words, does he like all those sacrifices more than he would just assume you to obey him when he gives you a simple commandment? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams, for rebellion is the same as having the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is just the same as iniquity and adultery, or worshiping other gods. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected you, Saul, from being king." So question, what are the flaws in Saul's reasoning here? How does God describe Saul's attitude? God showed you here, he's got rebellion in his heart. He's stubborn, he's full of pride and and he's showing that this is the same as somebody dealing in witchcraft and worshiping other idols. So he has clearly shown himself even when he told Samuel, we brought these sacrifices to sacrifice to the Lord thy God. He, He had sinned so much, he was no longer even included including himself into the into God's kingdom. He didn't call him God himself. So Saul finally acknowledged his sin, but it still focused on men's approval rather than God's approval. So listen at this. Verse 24 and 25, Saul said to Samuel, I've sinned, I've transgressed the commandment of the Lord and, and your words because I feared the people. And I went ahead and I obeyed their voice. Listen, he, he, he didn't really obey their voice. He was king. He didn't have to do any of that. But he says, therefore, I pray thee, pardon my sin and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord. Samuel answers and says, I'll not return with you for you've rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And Samuel turned about to go away and then Saul laid hold on the skirt of his mantle and rent it. And Samuel said unto him, the Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from this day and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than you." Then he said again, Saul shouts out again, I've sinned, yet honor me now. I pray thee before the elders of my people and before Israel, turn again with me. Listen to me saying, hey, don't embarrass me. Don't make me look bad. Go with me. Let's, let's, let's make this look good. I've repented. Let's just put it all behind us so I can still look good here. And, and let's go worship God together. But listen, he says that I may worship the Lord thy God. He said it again. He's still not calling God his own God. Why? Because his repentance is not sincere. So Samuel turned again after Saul and Saul worshiped the Lord and Samuel went to Ramah. See, he... He worshiped the way he wanted to. He he did things the way he wanted to. And he did not want to turn everything over to God. And this is what happens with a lot of people in the church today. They want to do church the way they want to do it. They want to control the way that they hand their lives over to God. And God has no part in their lives at all. Matter of fact, just what he said here to Saul, God has rent your kingdom from you. You're not even in his will anymore. You've just taken yourself plumb out with this attitude and this, this sinful life that you've got here. You have separated yourself from God. And so God tells us why Saul died, why Saul died. In 1 Chronicles 10, 13-14, Saul died for his transgressions which he committed against the Lord, even against the word of the Lord which he would not keep. He refused to keep the word of the Lord and also for asking counsel of one that had a familiar spirit to inquire of it and inquired not of the Lord. So he even went to fortune-tellers and other spiritual leaders instead of going to the Lord, and therefore God slew him and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. So let's look at King David real quickly, a God-dependent believer. David was chosen by God, prepared by God, and blessed by God. David was a spiritual believer who had a passion for the Lord. 1 Samuel 16 and 1 says, And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thy horn with oil, Samuel, and go, I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. Samuel took that horn and anointed David and, and they said uh, in Psalms 34, David wrote, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. And he says, let us exalt his name together. He goes on to say, uh, come ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Listen, David had a heart that was chasing after God with everything in him. How However, David did offend God and, and lived out of fellowship with him for a period of months. That's found in Second Samuel chapter 11. It came to pass after some times was expired when the, when the kings went to battle, David stayed at home in Jerusalem, looked down, and he from up in the rooftop he saw uh, this woman bathing, and he inquired of her, and it was Uriah's wife, and and David went and took to her, and he he lay with her, and she became pregnant. She conceived a child out of out of uh, wedlock with him, and and uh, David sent Joab to send Uriah, uh, her husband, off into the front lines of the of the battle to make sure he got killed, so that David could have his wife. David had committed adultery and murder all in the same lust. And then it came to pass in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it to the hand of Uriah, he wrote the letter saying, "Send Uriah to the front of the hottest battle. Why did he want to kill him? He wanted his wife. He, he went to the place to where <clears throat> he was lusting so bad over this man's wife. He sent that man's wife sent that man out to die so that he could use his authority as king to take his wife away from him." David controlled that, and so he sent and fetched that Uriah's wife to his house. She became his wife and bare him a son, but the things that David had done were very displeasing to the Lord, and Samuel confronted Saul, or, or just as Samuel had confronted Saul, excuse me, the prophet Nathan came to David. So 2 Samuel 12 one through four, the Lord sent Nathan to David and came unto him and said, There were two men in a city, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nursed up. And it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drink of his own cup and lay in his own bosom. And it was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take his own flock and his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was coming to him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against this man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord liveth, the man that had done this first thing shall surely die. And Nathan said, well, David, it's you. You're the one I'm talking about. God, the the one that God has anointed king over Israel, you have killed Uriah the Hittite with a sword and taken his wife to be your wife. So this child that she's bearing will surely die. Now look, unlike Saul, David immediately accepted full blame for his sin and was immediately given. Look in Psalms 51, you read about that. But look here. Verses 12 and 13, David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, the Lord also hath put away thy sin. So he was forgiven for his sin. And he says, you shall not die. See, David said, surely as I'm standing here, this man you're talking about in this parable you're talking or this story, whatever, that man needs to die. And Nathan said, well, hey, it's you. So David repented and then the the Lord forgave him and said, you're not going to die now. Howbeit, because by this deed that you've done, the child is going to die. David's forgiveness by God was complete, and David he comforted Bathsheba his wife and went to her, and she bare another son, and they called his name Solomon, and the Lord loved Solomon. Listen. God chose Solomon to build his temple. Solomon was used by God to write some portions of scripture, and Solomon is also listed in the genealogy of Jesus. So God's testimony about David after his death was, My servant David, this is found in 1 Kings 14 and 8, he says, My servant David, this is God speaking, who kept my commandments and who followed me with all his heart to do that which only was right in my eyes. So God had totally forgiven him. David got his life straightened up, but the penalty for that sin was he lost his child and and he had the sword in his house because of some things because of that. So there was penalty for those sins, but David was sincere about his apology, sincere about his repentance, and David took total responsibility for his sin and took it upon himself. He took his own blame. Why? Because he was the normal Christian life. He said, God is my master. I can't hide anything from him. I'm wrong. I need forgiveness. Please forgive me, God. Give me whatever punishment you want to give me. I'm sorry. Saul did the opposite thing. I'm the one in charge. God, the only time I want you here in my life is when I'm losing something and I need you to step in and help me win. That's what a lot of people do today in this world is is they want God to be a partner with them when things start going bad, but as long as things are going good, they don't want God to be in their life. They want to be making their own choices and God has absolutely nothing, nothing, nothing to do with people like that. You have to give your whole heart. You have to submit completely You have to decide that he is Lord over your life and not a partner in your own decisions. So discussion, both Saul and David were believers. One had not surrendered his will or surrendered to the lordship of the Lord and sinned. The other had surrendered his will to the Lord, but he also sinned. As a trait of life, Saul sought the approval of other people, while as a trait of life, David sought the approval of God. That's the big difference between the two. A lot of people wants the approval of other people. They they like to have the crowd going their way. They they like to see the approval of mankind and they're they're not paying any attention to what God's word says, what God wants them to be doing, or what God's opinion of this situation they're going through is. I just want to go along with the crowd. Whatever the crowd's saying, I'm gonna go with their approval because they're the ones I'm here with on this earth right now. They're the ones that sees me and I have to live with daily, so I'm gonna go along with their approval but they wouldn't seek God's approval. In a poll or a court of public opinion, whose sin would people consider more grievous? It's people who want man's approval more than God's approval. Why? Because without God's approval, you're not getting anywhere in life. Whose sin did the Lord consider more grievous? Being being self-dependent or self-reliant does not mean that everything that I do is wrong before people. And being spiritual does not always mean that everything I do is right before God. So I want to leave you with a statement. Integrity is doing the right thing even when no one else is watching. When there's only you and God, He's the only one that matters anyway. You cannot please man and... Hide things from God. God sees all things. So your integrity is following the will of God, letting him lord over your life, because no matter how many people you fool, no matter how many times you pull the wool over other people's eyes, they don't even count. God is the only one that counts, and he's the only one that you're going to be held accountable to. And he's the one that can take your life. He's the one that can take your soul and take your eternity away from you. He's the only one you you should be worried about being Lord and master over your life. So you need to live the normal Christian life and submit to him and say, God is my master. Praise God, I hope this helps you out. Play it over over and over again and let the word of God sink in so that we can learn to seek his face on every decision we make and always make him Lord over our life so that God himself will be our only master and not split our life's decisions between self and him. <laughs>